I feel like we're ready to crack open another season. What do you think? That was a very nice ASMR work right there. I need to check out the kickoff times. I know last year with the big first week, they sort of staggered those around. You had really big games all day. We do have a lot of noon Eastern. That's when your Ithaca Johns Hopkins happens. That's when your Del Val Cortland is scheduled. Trinity and St. John's is noon Central, so that's one Eastern. And then you got UW-Whitewater and John Carroll, which is basically the almost the farthest east of this group. And they kick off at 1.30, so clearly... CBS and or ESPN did not get a hold of these kickoff times to try to stagger them around. Even Mary Harden Baylor River Falls, that is at two o'clock Eastern. So a lot of games that look like playoff games, Pat, put them right in that playoff window. Kick everybody off at noon and let's go. Where's Frank with the whip around? Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. There have been 50 seasons of NCAA Division Three football. We've covered it for 25 of them. We've had a podcast since 2007. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the only podcast directly from the folks at D3Football.com. We will be here every week, all season, because we live and breathe this stuff. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation at D3Football.com. And Pat, here we are. It's week one. It's time to talk about games. Indeed, Season 17, Episode 5, we are going to talk about Week 1 games. We're going to get you ready for those kickoffs, which start Thursday night, August 31st, and go all the way through the end of the night on a Saturday, September 2nd. Greg, last year was an amazing season of Division Three football. I'm not sure how we're going to top it, but we're going to try starting here in Week 1, where we have five games that match up teams in our preseason Top 25. That's right, Pat. Last year, we received this bounty of, of great games with top teams struggling to find opponents. They found each other. They played really uh, great games early in this season. UMHB and Whitewater, Trinity and Wheaton. We talked about all of that last year. Maybe not one and done with those kinds of games. We have five, count them, five top 25 matchups coming up here in week one. Hard to find a week in a season where we get 10 ranked teams playing one another until you get to the postseason. So, you know, week one, a lot to be excited about here. Yeah. And every single one of these games is a new game this year, right? Trinity and St. John's. This is a new matchup this season. Mary Harden Baylor at River Falls. That is new. Ithaca at Johns Hopkins, Delaware Valley at Cortland, UW Whitewater at John Carroll. So, you know, you talked about some of those things not being one and done. Like there will still be a Whitewater-St. John's game. There will be another Trinity-Mary Harden-Baylor game. A lot of the games that were played last year will be played again. And we have all of these other ones to look forward to. I feel like, boy, I sure hope this is true. I feel like teams looked at the way the first few weeks of the season went last year and the ones who were left out, who didn't have a great non-conference game that they could point to, to, to put on their schedule, to circle, to get on the radar, of the general division three fan, the ones that had games to give here in 2023 went out and got them and got good ones. They really did. I think we saw that those difficult games, the high strength of schedule kinds of games that you can get really 
earned teams uh, trips into the playoffs that did not win conferences. We saw Bethel played some really strong games last year into the playoffs as a pool C. Wheaton also another one of the teams that had a really good non-conference game. They got into the playoffs. Wisconsin Whitewater, they played a great non-conference schedule as well. Despite two losses in the regular season, hosted a playoff game. So um, clearly last year's committee really rewarded teams that went out and played those games, even if some of those results did not turn into wins. And, you know, we're seeing more teams chase those games. And I think that's good for Division Three football. Right. You mentioned, of course, last year's committee is last year's committee. There's never a guarantee that it's going to be the same thing this year. But this year's committee which is chaired by Matt Moore. He's the head coach at the University of Northwestern in Roseville, Minnesota. Hopefully remembers what this exact, not quite exact same committee, hopefully they remember what they did last year and continue to reward those teams. Because here's the thing, right? And we see this happen a lot, unfortunately, is when the priorities change on the committee, Coaches are left scrambling for two years to try to change their schedules. This is not, you know, like baseball or basketball where you have you have some flexibility. You have, I don't know, you have probably 15 non-conference games in baseball. You have maybe 8 to 10 in basketball, and you have some flexibility over those in any given year. Football is scheduled sometimes years in advance. Mount Union, case in point, you know, playing Defiance last year, playing Defiance this year. Those games were scheduled like six years ago. They have to be consistent. We really need them to be consistent. Please, coaches and athletic directors and commissioners on the committee, be consistent is all we ask. I'm going to be at this Trinity St. John's game. Greg, obviously every single one of these is worth keeping a big eye on. And we're going to talk about some of them as we go on through this podcast. What jumps off the page out of these five things that already jump off the page? I mean, they all jump off the page. Ithaca, Johns Hopkins, I think this is a really fun game that you know this was announced toward the end of the season last year that Ithaca was going to play Johns Hopkins in a non-conference game we're going to see Johns Hopkins play outside of the league in a way that they haven't uh traditionally I mean, they've played some decent games in the non-conference they played Randolph Macon a few times Ithaca going down to Baltimore Ithaca coming off of a really strong season undefeated regular season Liberty League champions uh, this is a, a big step for, for them as well to, you know, sort of validate last year's season. We don't often see the Liberty League go super far outside of uh, New York to to play games. They don't have to. There's enough teams around that they don't have to, you know, travel too far. So this is a fun game. I think it stylistically should be fun, kind of opposite styles, the way these teams play, particularly on offense. But um, two good teams, well-coached teams, I think that's going to be a really good game. And that's a game, Pat, that's going to have a lot to do with maybe how things work out in Region 2. One of these teams is going to, you know, have a really nice win in case they don't win a conference. Really nice Pool C kind of pelt to have here. The loser, you know, maybe you can still win your conference and get into the tournament. These teams live in regions where they might run into each other in the tournament and could be could be a home field advantage situation. For the Liberty League, they spent so many years playing basically all of their games against the Empire 8. Now the Empire 8 has a scheduling agreement with the Landmark Conference, so there is definitely some opening for games for Liberty League teams. And, you know, frankly, of course, the Centennial, as we talked about previously, 
used to have just one non-conference game, and now they have four. A lot bigger schedule to fill. I'm very interested in Delaware Valley at Cortland. I think there's been some talk that with all of the losses that Delaware Valley has had, and I think some of them after our preseason poll came out, lost a couple of their key wide receivers, that Del Val at 10 is probably not going to be able to live up to that. And maybe Cortland, for that matter, at 17 might be a little underrated. Cortland, of course, probably earns this rating by losing to Randolph-Macon in the first round of the playoffs last year. But I feel like this is a situation where the favorite is not the one that's got the higher ranking, that's for sure. Probably no. And, you know, Delaware Valley, they've really hung their hat on defense for the last several years. Uh, One of the most statistically ridiculous run defenses we've seen Um, week after week in the MAC, we sort of watch Delaware Valley and see if they give up negative rushing yards in a game. That's not uncommon for that unit, but they have lost a lot of players from that defense. Nobile brothers have, have moved on. They've been mainstays there at Delaware Valley for a long time. And this is a big, big test for them. Cortland has been a very strong offensive team over the last uh, couple of years as they've been playoff participants um, going to Cortland here for Delaware Valley really big challenge for them and yeah you I mean probably the home team are favored here even though Delaware Valley has the higher ranking Mary Harden Baylor goes to UW River Falls River Falls I mean we famously talked about them last year as being the WIAC team that had the worst strength of schedule which is really difficult to do they had a semi-pedestrian strength of schedule in the WIAC which is why you know, there's there's no real path to the playoffs in in that sort of situation. When you've got three conference losses, even in the WIAC, and your strength of schedule is that. So, okay, we are going to take last year where they had a game against Elmhurst, and we're going to replace that with a game against Mary Harden Baylor. That is a huge up. There are obviously some other changes, like they don't play St. John's this year. They play Ohio Wesleyan instead. That's not a net uh, positive in the strength of schedule standpoint uh, in that game. But I feel like this is a huge step forward and really for UW-River Falls, a chance to say we belong in this conversation. We belong in this conversation nationally. And it's not just... Hey, where are you going to school next year? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Big school. That we have managed to finish fourth in the best conference in Division Three and beat Wash U. Feels like River Falls for the last few years have really been knocking on the door uh, pretty close. Like you watch River Falls, they are, they present as a very good team, but they haven't quite been able to get those big wins against Whitewaters or Lacrosse's or Oshkosh's. They just haven't been able to break through in the WIAC. They had a chance last year in St. John's. They did not win uh, in Collegeville. And here's another opportunity, UMHB coming up with a lot of new faces on offense. Another chance for River Falls to notch the kind of win that I think people have been waiting for them to to have. And, you know, it's going to be a really, really great opportunity for the Falcons in this game. Two years ago, of course, in 2021, River Falls went 8-2 and two in the regular season. They beat Wash U in the Butter Burger Bowl. The actual name of this game is... That's the Culver's Isthmus Bowl. Pat. That's right. Thank you. And I'm sure River Falls very proud of their back-to-back Isthmus Bowl championships. But, you know, I, I think they want to play a different game in Week 12 this year. A game that gives you a chance to play in Week 13, for example. 
Trinity at St. John's. I feel like we could talk about this game in the preview. I'm going to be there, so I feel like we're going to talk about it significantly in pod 332. So maybe we don't spend as much time on this right now. But again, I love the scheduling. I love Trinity coming up to play St. John's. This is a rematch, of course, of the famed 2002 National Semifinals, a game which Trinity won 41-34 and then had some off-field incidents and ended up laying a bit of an egg against Mount Union in the Stag Bowl. Number four against number six. This is the jewel of the day. It has to be. Yeah, absolutely. You've got four versus six in Collegeville, one of the you know iconic places to play a game in Division Three. You know it's going to be a huge crowd. You know they're going to be ready to go. Johnny's fans, you know, first game of the year. They've had all summer to get ready for this one. Uh, a lot of the Johnny's fans will remember that game from 2002. They'll bring that with them. That is going to be probably the marquee game of the day with probably the best crowd we're going to get in the division on Saturday. And Pat, I mean, you're, you're no stranger to games in Collegeville, but I mean, this one, this one feels a little bit different, doesn't it? I think it does. I hope that the St. John's fans understand this, right? Like for a St. John's student or a St. John's casual fan, I feel like you understand Whitewater, you understand River Falls. If Mary Harden Baylor were coming to your place, you would understand that, right? There's been a recent playoff game there to really solidify that. Maybe Trinity doesn't have the same cachet uh, over the course of the past decade or so, but they should. And if you extend this out, if you ask this question five years from now, maybe the answer is a little different. So I hope so. It is, uh, of course, Labor Day weekend, but students are on campus. Uh, it should be a big crowd. It should be nearly impossible to park. And those are the things that make a great St. John's home game. I'd be disappointed if it were less than like 11,500 fans, basically. And then wrapping up our look at these games involving top 25 teams, we have this little sleeper of a game featuring uh, UW-Whitewater ranked number 11 at number 19, John Carroll. A uh, OAC team going out and scheduling a WIAC opponent, two of the top teams in each of those leagues squaring off, and new head coaches at both, which makes for fun storylines. Alumni head coaches at both of those places, brand new quarterbacks on both sides. There's a lot of stuff that'll be very interesting about this game. And then by reflection, of course, you can do your little comparative score math it's my understanding that there would be no math you're totally invalid comparative score math at some point to figure out how the best teams in the WIAC might do against Mount Union while we're on the theme of playoff rematches of course John Carroll went to the to Perkins Stadium and won on their way to the semifinals on the way to the semifinals at UW Oshkosh if I remember correctly good times that was a good year that was fun so we're looking forward to those games, and we'll be talking about a lot of other games coming up as we kind of go around each region. Also in this podcast, we'll be talking with Anthony Calusi. He's the head coach at Birmingham Southern. Birmingham Southern is still open. Birmingham Southern still has a football team, and we'll be sitting down with him in just a little bit. Also, Greg, I got to be honest with you, one of the other things I'm looking forward to this year is trying to get to some new places. I've been to a lot of places in Division Three football. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. I was dragging my suitcase through a busy airport terminal. 
When I came up to the counter and the ticket agent said hello. Is Roanoke your final destination, Mr. Coleman, sir? And I said, well, yes it is. Atlanta's where I transfer. I've been chasing D3 football for a quarter century. And 500 miles or not, there's still some places left to see. I've been everywhere, man, almost everywhere, man. Cadelta, get me there, man. I'll go by ground or air, man. Of miles I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Old Kirk, Chicago, Redlands, Gettysburg, Madison, Meadville, Gasparo, Galesburg, Canton, Winchester, Ashland, Hampton, Sydney, Naperville, Roysville, Troy, and Schenectady, Waverly, Decorah, Elmhurst, McMinnville, Baltimore, Angola, Bonneville, and Crawfordsville. I've been everywhere, man. Almost everywhere, man. Flew Independence Air, man. Gone by ground to air, man. A miles I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Lyle, Carlisle, every place called Collegeville, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania's Greenville, Washington and PA, Washington and DC, River Forest, River Falls, Mount Vernon and Mount Berry, Upper Montclair and Westminster, Maryland, Williamstown, Allentown, Old and New and Belton. I've been everywhere, man, almost everywhere, man. Birmingham's still there, man. I've gone by ground to air, man. A miles I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Whitewater, Wheaton, Milwaukee, Emma Nominee, Alliance, Moorhead Next, New Places, Beverly, Springfield, Springfield, Abilene, Counts Twice, Ripon and Sheboygan, Northfield, looking double nice, San Antonio, St. Paul, and St. Peter, St. Bonifacio, St. Louis, and Deep Pier. I've been everywhere, man, almost everywhere, man. Both schools in Wilkes-Barre, man, gone by ground or air, man. Of miles I've had my share, man, I've been everywhere. I've been to Salem, Shenandoah, Kenton, and Annapolis, Oshkosh, Williamsport, Kenosha, and Columbus, New London, New Ulm, Claremont, Sixth Street, Kings Point, Lancaster, Stevenson, and Salisbury, Chester, Conway, Cortland, Holland, Worcester, almost over, say goodbye to Hancock, Frostburg, Eagle, Rock, and Dover, I've been everywhere, man, almost everywhere, man, 20 more places that you couldn't fit in there, man, I've gone by ground or air, man, of miles I've had my share, man, I've been everywhere. Almost everywhere. You know, I'm going to be almost everywhere. Pat, that is outstanding. Were I to do a similar song, it would last about 30 seconds. I don't know that I could fill three verses, but man, that is impressive. You have been almost everywhere. And I did, while listening to that, I did check, Pat, I will be connecting through Atlanta to Roanoke <laughs> in about 16 weeks. Keith and I kept this spreadsheet of all the places that we've been, right? Uh, and for me, I've seen about 160 of the current 240-some Division three football programs play at some point or another. I've been to 102 home sites, those 80, whatever that you heard in the song, and another 20 that I couldn't fit in there. So my apologies to the folks at Kane and so many other places that didn't quite fit into the song. In there also, I uh, teased, revealed that I'll be going to Beverly. Who can tell us uh, what's, uh, what Division Three schools in Beverly? That is going to be Endicott. 
right? So we'll be seeing Endicott host Harden Simmons coming up on the 22nd of September. And I'll be knocking off, I think, a, a couple of other new sites in uh, on that trip as well. I'll be at Tufts on that Saturday night. And then there's a possibility of getting two more games in on Saturday afternoon before that 6.30 kickoff on homecoming at Tufts. So we'll see if I can find a parking spot anywhere in Medford, Massachusetts. But uh, looking to knock some more names off this list. It's kind of been a little while with a whole year of almost going nowhere and that sort of thing. I'm getting back on the road and I'm really looking forward to it. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Anthony Colusi, the head coach at Birmingham Southern. First year as head coach, but having been at uh, BSC for a while. Coach, first off, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, I love what you guys do, and, and, and we've been very thankful and grateful that you guys have showcased our program over the last couple of years, and uh, we appreciate the, the love and attention. Well, I think we're just happy that there is a Birmingham Southern College and a Birmingham Southern football program this year. Um, what was it like for like you guys uh, as coaches, you know, as people employed by the institution, and then all of the student athletes to kind of go through all of that waiting period this uh, spring before kind of finally getting the go ahead that yes, this was going to happen this fall. Yeah, sure. I, I honestly think the hardest piece was how long it took, how long it dragged out. Uh, most of us entered it with unwavering faith that the situation was going to get resolved. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of worry, you know, in the the negative. Okay. Uh, it was just a matter of, you know, postponements and, and waiting for the process to play out that ended up being the hardest piece of it. You know, and of course, you know, uh, Coach White left. Um, uh, John Lewis, of course, All-American running back uh, left. Of course, he got a uh, uh, a roster spot at a, uh, at a higher level school, so hard to turn uh, down that kind of thing. Were there other people who, you know, kind of made the decision to, I don't know, play it safe, try to go somewhere else? Yeah, we, uh, we lost a couple of guys in the off season, um, you know, to, uh, for the most part, it were guys that, you know, potentially would have provided some depth, um, underclassmen, you know, returning, um, trying to make an impact this year, you know, not necessarily impact guys in, in the past, but, um, yeah, w- w- ultimately when the process was going on, people had to make the decisions for their, for themselves and, and, you know, their own interests, their own beliefs and what was important to them. So you come into this role, having been the offensive coordinator, um, you have had, you know, obviously one of the uh, best running backs in division three, not just Lewis, but of course, Chris Shuford before him. What is, what does that next guy up look like for you guys this season at that position? Yeah, we feel like we're in a good spot once again. And, and honestly, if you look back even pre uh, my time or our staff's time at Birmingham Southern, historically, the football program has had elite running backs dating back to, to uh, Sean Morris and uh, Walter Arrington, who are now Hall of Famers. Uh, in our program. So year in and year out, we, we've somehow been fortunate to to have some good guys in the backfield and uh, have got some good guys up in front of them to, to help pave the way. Okay, so by the time this podcast airs or drops in people's feeds, you guys are going to be a couple of days away from the game, from the first game of the season. You didn't give me a name, and I'm going to just make a second attempt to try to get, to get you to tell me anybody who might get carries for you guys against McMurray in week one. Yeah, sure. Um, so Kendall Johnson will probably take the first carry. Um, senior running back. 
Uh, he's done a tremendous job. He's also a captain, um, tremendous leader, tremendous human being. Uh, we're, we're really lucky and blessed to have him. He's worked his tail off in his time here. Um, yeah, he's been behind those all American type guys. That's he's kind of had to be in the shadows because of that. So now it's his time to, to rise to the occasion and to shine. Uh, Mitch Thompson is a receiver that we moved to running back. Uh, he'll probably be the second guy in out of the backfield. We feel pretty good about him. Uh, we've got a rising junior in Kobe Hughes, and we've also got a transfer from Mount Union coming in. Um, between those four guys, we feel we feel pretty good that we got a stable backs. So you have a Thursday night game, Thursday night opener, August 31st. People who are seeing countdowns from like the NCAA saying Division Three starts September 1st, do not sleep on these August 31st games. You guys go to Little Rock, uh, meet McMurray. I don't know if that's quite halfway, but it's a, uh, it's a neutral site, and obviously – you know, War Memorial Stadium there is this big venue that you guys have played in before. Tell us a little bit about kind of the genesis of that game, you know, why it's on a Thursday night, why it's in Arkansas when you guys play in two separate states altogether, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, actually before last season, um, the team that we had historically opened the season with had dropped us yeah. um, and we had to find a new opponent and uh, Coach White and uh, Coach Neal, you know, from Coach Neal's time at Hendricks, we kind of had that personal relationship. Uh, and, and I think the two of them got together and said, hey, we both need a week one game. You know, can we try and meet up somewhere that makes sense for both of us as far as travel goes? Uh, um, and, and in the COVID year, we had played in War Memorial as well. So like we all those dots kind of connected for us to have a two year deal with them, neutral site um, at War Memorial. It's been a great venue and it's, it's been a, a cool experience for the kids. Uh, and then truthfully this year, we were booked to play on Saturday and uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks um, had other plans. They're okay. playing on Saturday. So they moved us up. All right. Well, Thursday, I mean, you know, as long as you are good, you know, missing a couple of those practice opportunities, right? A Thursday night opener the first week of the season is a, a pretty good time to do it, if you ask me. So, Sure. We'll be one of the first games at our level. And considering uh, everything that transpired in the offseason, I think it would be a pretty awesome experience for us. So program has been revived now for, I think we're in season number 17, right? This is not exactly a new restarted up startup program. But one of the things I'm curious about, just in, about programs in general, is like, who do you guys consider to be your biggest rival? And I, I look around the map, it's like, okay, so in the state of Alabama, it's just you and Huntington. You guys do play Huntington. Um, you know, I got to think about, uh, you know, I think about Barry because Barry has been a big dog in the conference at times. You guys have been big dog in the conference. So I think that must lend itself pretty naturally as well. You talked about LaGrange dropping you guys. So I just assume maybe there's some. Uh, maybe there should be some unresolved feelings there at some point, but who does, who does Birmingham Southern see as the big rival right now? Yeah. So that's, that's a trap question. And uh, I opened my very first team meeting uh, this fall um, discussing that the next most important thing, you know, right. We always have to focus on doing the next right thing. So for us, it's about ourselves and it's one day at a time uh, because you know, I, just like you, you hinted at some of the some of the opponents there. Uh, as soon as our schedule came out this year, everybody is looking past the first game and they're looking on to week two, week three. Sure. Um, we knew that would be a battle for us, and and you know we kind of uh, set the tone in the very first team meeting that hey, the most important thing is right now, and it's this meeting, and the next most important thing will be tomorrow and the next day, and the first most important opponent will be week one. And is that? I mean, I know obviously that's a thing that coaches say uh, a lot. So I'm going to assume that that's not necessarily a change in philosophy from the past. But, you yeah. know, are there things that, you know, when you took over in December, 
that you had in mind. It's like, these are the things that I want to do differently when we had our spring ball, when we go into camp, when we, when we take the field in week one, what were the things that you wanted to do that kind of put your stamp on things and do things differently? Yeah, I, I, it was really honestly my hope just to kind of enhance and, and continue to grow and evolve the foundation that's already been laid. Um, I've been a part of that, that culture and, and, and that foundation that's been built here over the last six years. I didn't have any intent of coming in and destroying it or, or changing it too much. Uh, I think it's just now coming from a, a different voice, a different background, you know, maybe a little bit of a different personality. Um, I think our players would be able to answer that question better than me. Well, we will catch up with them at some point and uh, and uh, and try to pin them down on that. Um, okay, so you mentioned week one, week two, week three. We did not mean to overlook uh, Trinity. And of course, uh, Trinity has uh, a couple of crazy games on their schedule between uh, then and now as well. Um, and I know the conference uh, coaches poll just came out by the t- at the time we're recording this. You guys are as solidly in the middle of the pack, I suppose, in that uh, preseason poll as possible. But what do you think, um, what do you think your chances look like? Or what do you think the SAA, does that, does it shake out the way that in your mind that it did in the preseason poll? Yeah. So our culture at this point, our expectation is to win. I mean, every single year, mm-hmm. um, it's a good spot to be in that that's where we want to be. Uh, we've had a chance to contend for the conference title for three consecutive years. And we've got no plans on stepping away from that this coming year. Um, and of course, you know, it's not all that uh, far removed from going to the second round of the playoffs a couple of years ago. What is the what are the things that, you know, you guys need to do better based on last year, dropping a couple conference games, uh, dropping an out of conference game to get back to that level where you can compete and maybe win a first round game, depending on how it's matched up? Yeah, and ironically, I think one of the issues that a lot of our guys returning talked about from last year's team is that we did look ahead. Um, and when we looked ahead is, is usually when we stumbled. Um, and that 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 ultimately hurt us. And uh, we lost two games last year in the final minute of the game. And you go back and you win those two games and you're back in the playoffs right where you left off. So we were that close. Um, and it was frustrating to end the year the way we did. And, right. Uh, we kind of do, uh, do our best to use that, you know, kind of negative experience as internal motivation going into this year. Right, because I don't think we would have expected um, losing to Rhodes at the end of the season. And, you know, I'm only looking at the box score right now, right? Not having watched a snap of that game. But, you know, on paper, you guys not really competitive, at least offensively. Sure. Yeah, that was an extremely frustrating game for the offensive side of the ball. And then when you get back on Monday and you turn the film on with the guys, it's even more frustrating to see those mistakes. All right, we've talked about a couple of guys who are, um, you know, looking to get carries on offense. Who are some of the standout guys on defense that people need to keep their eyes on this season? Yeah, I think everyone up front, uh, our D-line is is pretty deep and, and pretty dangerous. Uh, it'd be a matter of keeping those guys healthy, um, but they are experienced veteran players. Um, defense is going to be led by uh, senior captain inside linebacker Ty Armstrong um, and captain corner. Uh, Connor Thornburg. Connor Thornburg was second team all region last year. Had a tremendous year for us as a junior. Uh, we feel like we're in a we're in a pretty good stop spot on the defensive side, and we've got some good depth. And I just want to echo what you said at the top of the interview, Pat. That we are thankful that we have the opportunity to talk to Coach Calusi about Birmingham Southern football because, quite frankly, the immediate future of the institution was kind of touch and go this past spring and summer. The Panthers weathered the financial storm here in the short term, but not without some damage. As Coach Calusi mentioned, they did lose some players and some depth. The student-athletes sought out other opportunities at other levels of football or sought stability. Neither of which you can really hold against those players who moved on from Birmingham Southern. 
But despite that, it's fair to expect the Panthers to be right in the mix in the SAA again. This is a program whose baseline, I think, has been fortified to the point where they're not ever going to fall far from the top of that conference. Trinity is a team that performed very well last year and a team that our preseason polling expects to be among the best in the division this year. Let's remember that Birmingham Southern was about 13 seconds and Carter Self's fingertips away from being SAA champions last year. That's a really good point. You know, they did finish 7-3 and three overall. They stumbled at the end against Rhodes, but they had their destiny in their control and they went to Trinity and they were not only competitive, they were right there at the end. So we'll see. Obviously they were picked tied for fourth in the SAA. I'd be surprised if they finished there and obviously losing John Lewis to university of Indianapolis is a big blow, but we'll see how this progresses and we'll see starting Thursday night uh, against McMurray in little rock, Arkansas. We're going to take a look at the key games region by region. We talked about, Five big games at the top, but we're going to talk about some more here as we get you ready for week one. In Division Three. our regions are now numbered. They used to have great names, super descriptive names like North, East, South, and West. My favorite is the South region that started in like the New York City suburbs and ran to practically El Paso, Texas, the almost the New Mexico border. Now we have numbers and region one is primarily teams in the Northeast part of the country. So the question is what's fun in the one. I'm a real wild one. And for me, what's fun in the one is getting a new division three football program underway, which is what they're doing at Eastern university. The Eagles announced almost two years ago that they would be starting football. And this week marks that program's first varsity game. It is Saturday at noon at the college in New Jersey. Two years is a pretty normal timeline to run through before taking the field. So, the Eagles have the advantage of two recruiting classes and a developmental season last year where the team played a few games as a JV program. They might not struggle as much as Hilbert did last year. Hilbert started their first season of play after just 10 months of having a announced football program. But in the first season, it's always hard to tell. Regardless, welcome to D3 for the Eagles, and maybe we'll see a W for the Eagles at some point this season. But if not... Certainly by the time the third and fourth year rolls around, typically those programs get pretty good with, the, with a really experienced first senior class. Always fun in the one is the ECFC, Pat. We talked a little bit about this conference last week here where I shamefully forgot to recall defending champion Gallaudet. The ECFC, they have just five teams this season, but there might not be another league, maybe just one, where any result between any two conference teams isn't a surprise. Any of the five teams in the ECFC could win the conference. And not one of them would surprise me. For our listeners who might be looking for a casual game to stream on any given Saturday this fall, I'm going to recommend finding a Gallaudet Bison game. Bison quarterback Brandon Washington is back. Washington was a first-team all-region selection by D3Football.com and on multiple occasions last year scored touchdowns in a game by throwing, running, and receiving. One of the most exciting players in the region and worth a watch. As you're clicking around for streams this season, Gallaudet, they open against former ECFC rival Keystone with a noon kickoff on Saturday. A lot of noon kickoffs. Pat, what is new in the two? What's new in the two? How about the President's Athletic Conference playing some of its conference games in week one? Westminster of Pennsylvania at Grove City. This is a key game 
in that conference's standings, and it's being competed right off the bat. And why are there conference games in week one? Well, again, there are conference games in week one because there are 11 teams now playing football in the pack, and they are playing a full round robin. So full round robin, do the math, 11 minus 1. 11 minus 1 is 10. That means you have no non-conference games. You are playing nothing but conference games the entire season. So when someone on Twitter says, Carnegie Mellon is going to be a beast this year, I am going to say, how do we know? All we're going to know is their results against the rest of the conference. We have no non-conference games to speak of. That is new this year. It's in place next year. It is apparently already off the books for 2025. It is so popular that they already know that they're not doing it two years from now, but they are doing it this year. And that, for me, is what's new in the two. Keep an eye on that Westminster Grove City game because that's a key game. Also new in the two, Pat, is the Landmark Conference. When NCAA Division Three membership changed the minimum number of teams required for a conference to be eligible for an automatic bid, the Landmark Conference took about 51 seconds to announce that they were going to sponsor football. Six Landmark Conference schools, Catholic, Juniata, Lycoming, Moravian, Susquehanna, and Wilkes, they're all coming home, while the conference also welcomes Keystone as an affiliate member for football. The addition of the Landmark Conference has some noteworthy effects. First, the movement of teams from primarily the MAC and the Centennial Conference open up non-conference opportunities for teams that were in those large conferences that we haven't seen. Uh, we mentioned Johns Hopkins and Delaware Valley non-conference opportunities last week. One such non-conference opportunity that we will see this week is uh, landmark favorite Susquehanna traveling to Bridgewater. Susquehanna, they have traditionally opened their season with a rivalry game against Lycoming. This year, Susquehanna will defend the stag hat a little bit later in the year and instead open up with kind of a sneaky tough game against the Bridgewater team from the ODAC that won nine games last year. The creation of the Landmark Conference also increases the number of automatic bids to the postseason from 27 to 28, which then reduces the number of at-large bids from five to four, which is a very significant development and something that we are going to keep talking about as the season goes on. I love a good stag hat reference. That's the Amos Alonzo stag hat. Stag coached at Susquehanna late in his career. Lycoming is just down the road, literally just you know, a few miles down U.S. Route 15. And it's better to have that game later in the season rather than early in the season. Greg, what do we see in the three? Region three is where we find our teams in conferences located primarily in the South and Texas. The density of schools in this region is significantly less than what we've looked at in regions one and two. And Pat, what I'm seeing in the three is a lot of travel by the top teams, especially the Texas schools, to round out that 10-game schedule while also staying within the division. They're going all over the place to get games. We talked about it earlier. Trinity is going to Minnesota. UMHB and Hardin-Simmons, they're going to be in Wisconsin in September. Hardin-Simmons, they're going to double down with a trip out to Beverly, Mass., which we talked about for a game at Endicott. There's a lot of miles being logged by these teams that all have their eyes on the big prize in Salem. A lot of great week one games for region three teams. And I'm going to come back to Mary Harden Baylor traveling to River Falls. It's a game that can potentially ask a lot of difficult questions for the crew. We might get a glimpse of what we can expect from UMHB through their rugged September stretch that they have. Obviously a lot of focus on the Texas teams in region three. 
and that makes sense. They're the ones that traditionally advance the furthest in the playoffs. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm seeing Trinity play each of the first two weeks, but I'm also looking at the rest of the SAA, including the USA South. And that includes a couple of crossover games here in week one between the two conferences as Barry hosts Huntington and Bellhaven hosts Millsaps. Now we're not likely to learn a whole lot from Bellhaven and Millsaps. Bellhaven beat the majors by four touchdowns last year, but that game takes place on Thursday night. And it's one of the ones worth checking into. That is a backyard rivalry game. So that's a lot of fun. You could literally walk from one campus to the other in the Jackson, Mississippi area. This game is also the head coaching debut of Corey Yoke. He's the new coach at Millsaps. But Barry and Huntington should be a good battle. It should be a representation of how much Barry might have to take on Trinity with this year. It's also a night game, unlike so many of the other games that we've talked to. So you can watch this game in its entirety after the Trinity-St. John's game, which, as we've mentioned before, is a noon central time start. Greg, what's in store in the four? Sons, what the four by four's for. I'll have an eye on the MIAA this season to see how close they might come to replicating their borderline ridiculous success from 2022. Last season, Pat, the MIAA scored 25 wins against just three losses in non-conference play in the regular season. By far the best non-conference record by any conference in the division. Week one, not full of layups for the MIAA. Watch out for some road challenges when Olivet visits Franklin and Adrian visits Carthage. Last season's league champion, Alma, they also won a playoff game, a first in quite some time for the league. Alma returns as the favorite to win the conference. There's going to be some strong competition throughout that league with Albion, Hope, and Trine all kind of lumped in together at the top of the conference, I, I believe. Also in store in the four this week is the annual Ohio Athletic Conference non-conference week. So there's 10 football teams in the OAC. That means they play just one non-conference game, and most year, all of them are in week one. John Carroll hosting Whitewater will have the most eyes on it, but Ohio Northern at Alma has implications as well. Implications, Greg, for that group you just talked about. Also, Mount St. Joseph shocked people this time last year with a win against Baldwin-Wallace. That's another early season barometer for both programs. Uh, St. John Fisher against Marietta. That's a good matchup of teams in the middle of the pack in their conferences. And there are a number of other mismatches that shouldn't be talked about, one of which should never have been scheduled. Who's looking alive in the five? Greg, in the five, of course, we have to look at Aurora and how quickly we go from Aurora has a world-class non-conference schedule in the halcyon days of 2021 to Aurora is a quarterfinalist and is scheduling from behind, by which I mean Aurora's playing Hope and later Franklin in non-conference action, which is not really what you want to see from a team that you think will go deep in the playoffs. So this might not be where Aurora is as a program, not quite. And both of those games are in the second year of a home-and-home. But if Aurora is that good this year, as good as they were last year, we will definitely be lamenting that they didn't have a team from a power conference on their schedule. Eyes on Aurora versus Hope this week for sure. Wartburg reached a new high water mark last year when they broke into the national semifinals. The Knights have a lot of key pieces back. Niall McLaughlin, Hunter Clausen, Turbo, Owen Grover, just to quickly name a few, but the American Rivers Conference is not just a one-team show. Central has had playoff success recently and the Dutch will look to rebound after a slight dip last season 
Cohen Dubuque are also teams that are regularly in contention at the top of the conference. The ARC kind of gets lost sometimes in the noise just being around and in the same area as conferences like the MIAC and the WIAC and the CCIW. But this is a really strong league through their top half and certainly capable of producing a national championship caliber team. Keep an eye on what has become a traditional week one region five showcase for Monmouth and Wartburg. Bold move going back to a night game for this one. Hopefully they can get that one kicked off on schedule or really any time before midnight. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. I feel, Greg, like we need to have a super cut of turbo references from last year's <laughs> national semifinal game on ESPN, where it seemed like the broadcasters knew one thing about Wartburg, and that was Hunter Clausen's nickname. No other MC could rock like that. Turbo Clausen from the 10-yard line. This is Hunter Clausen. Turbo showing you why he's got that nickname on the Rock first carry like of the day. Turbo doesn't need much space to get moving now, does he? No, he really doesn't. Pressure coming, and that throw is caught by Turbo Clausen. Turbo crossing like the formation. Warper came out very run heavy, trying to get Turbo going. This time they fake Turbo, hit a little play action to the tight end drag. Clausen showing you his toughness. He's nicknamed Turbo, as we've been telling you. He's nicknamed Turbo, as we've been telling you. He's nicknamed Turbo, as we've been telling you. And, uh, you can understand why. There he is, Hunter Clausen. Turbo is what they call him because, uh, you know, he plays at that high-octane level. I mean, that, because that's the way he plays. The motor, that's the way he plays. The motor, that's the way he plays. The motor is just uh, otherworldly. I can only imagine the emotions of Tyler Clausen right now being able to watch Turbo play for the first time and, and celebrate that first touchdown. Beautiful job by Moore playing off that block and being able to go and bring down Turbo. Hunter Clausen. First down, the Knights of Wartburg. Gotta love it, Turbo collision with number 17, Mason McMillan. Turbo, as we've told you. Just, uh, just because of the way he plays. Just because of the way he plays. Man, Turbo is a tough runner, because he ran through Duke Hill, broke that tackle, but he had Vale and McMillan. He's nicknamed Turbo, as we've been telling you. He's nicknamed Turbo, as we've been telling you. He's nicknamed Turbo, as we've been telling you. And uh, you can understand why. Boston went up and literally pulled the football out of the hands of Mount Union safety Jesse Vale. This is an incredible individual effort by Turbo. Michael, they tried to get Turbo, Hunter Clausen, on a wheel route up the sideline. They have Turbo, Hunter Clausen back there. You want to make them drive the field, and giving Turbo the football in open field and open space probably isn't the ideal way to do it. Wait, somebody, somebody else had that info? I thought that was exclusive. Who's in the mix in the six? Six feet, six, six feet, six feet, six, six feet. Region 6, Pat, is where we find our more westerly conferences in the division. And in Division 3, West refers to a lot of schools and states that sit on the Mississippi River and everything west from there, all the way out to the west coast. Linfield hasn't been particularly challenged by their rivals in the Northwest Conference for a few years now. 
That might be the case again in 2023. Down here in Southern California, you'll see a divisional setup this year, which I think is going to make things very unpredictable. It's going to be hard to separate four of the six Skyac teams, Claremont Mudscripts, Chapman Redlands, and defending champion Pomona Pitzer. They are all plenty capable of taking this conference championship. For our East Coasters out there, when you need that extra helping of Division Three football, uh, find those 10 p.m. Skyac kickoffs. There's going to be some very good games after dark this fall. There are really so many games to watch in Region 6 this week, but I'm going to highlight a bit of a novelty for the Skyac as the preseason favorite, Claremont Mud Scripps, and their bruising tailback, Justin Edwards. They make the trip out to the second city to take on the University of Chicago. That is a 2 p.m. Eastern start uh, in Chicago. And if you are watching Skyac after dark, I highly recommend, first off, I think the Redlands broadcast has the best broadcasters. They have professional broadcasters. Mitch McClelland, typically play-by-play guy there, does a really good job. The Chapman broadcast has maybe the best production values, uh, really good student-run video operation out of Chapman. So that's a lot of fun to watch as well. And it doesn't hurt that often those teams are in contention for something interesting. So that's also helpful. Of course, the six is also home to the WIAC, and it's hard not to talk about the WIAC in any given year or apparently in any given five-minute segment of this podcast. So we've already mentioned the Whitewater-John Carroll game. We've mentioned River Falls, Mary Harden-Baylor. I'm also going to have my eye on Concordia-Moorhead and Eau Claire. So, right, Concordia hasn't had a winning record since 2017, but Eau Claire, the Blue Golds, just so desperately want to break out of their basement-adjacent position. They are doing facility upgrades like throughout the athletic department, including a huge indoor practice facility. Uh, They have yet another new head coach. This is Rob Erickson, who is a Platteville grad about uh, a little over 20 years ago. He was a finalist for the job at UW-Whitewater and got the job at UW-Eau Claire this year. Eau Claire has seven conference wins in the past eight seasons, and I'm already not including the COVID year where nobody in the WIAC played. This is seven conference wins in eight seasons that were fully competed. Eau Claire desperately wants to be better than that, and if they do so here in their first year under Rob Erickson, it might well start on Saturday against Concordia Moorhead. All right, Greg, it's time for On the Spot. First on the spot of the season. Here we go. Yeah, and Greg, you have heard a number of city names over the course of this podcast, right? So what I would like to know, I already asked you, you obviously know who plays in Beverly. I'm going to ask you to identify the Division Three school that is in each one of these places here in verse 2 of I've been almost everywhere, D3 style. That's the one that is Lyle, Carlisle, every place called Collegeville, Pittsburgh, Pittsford, Pennsylvania's Greenville, Washington, PA, Washington, DC, River Forest, River Falls, Mount Vernon, Mount Berry, Upper Montclair, Westminster, Maryland, Williamstown, Allentown, and Belt. All right. I will probably not do these in order. All right, so Collegeville, St. John's, obviously. There's more than one Collegeville in D3. All right, we're going to put a pin in that. St. John's. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh uh, is uh, Carnegie Mellon. 
I went to Carnegie Mellon in 1993. Rich Lackner, head coach. Washington and PA is Washington and Jefferson. Been there more than once, uh, including a playoff game in, I believe, 2004. Washington, D.C. You're going to get a two for here, Pat. That's Catholic University and Gallaudet. Yep. Multiple times at both places. I am going to be way worse at this than I thought. River Falls, obviously River Falls. Upper Montclair, we have Montclair State. Allentown is Muhlenberg. Belton is, is UMHB, obviously. How about Williamstown? Williams? Williams is in Williamstown, Mass. Yep. All right. Of course it is. How about Mount Berry? Is it too easy? It is that easy. Mount Berry is Berry. I'm going to give you states for some of these. Lyle, we go back to the top of this verse. Lyle is in Illinois. And Lyle is on that stretch of the interstate out west of town that also includes easy access to North Central and Aurora. Is it Benedictine? That's Benedictine. You're right. Carlisle. Carlisle's in Pennsylvania. Carlisle is south of Harrisburg. Team plays in the Centennial. Dickinson. It's Dickinson. There you go. All right. Pittsford is in western New York. I've mentioned the school in this podcast already. They still have the same head coach as when I was there in 1994. They are say they are St. John Fisher. Pennsylvania's Greenville. I had to be specific because I've not been to Greenville, Illinois, where Greenville College plays. Pennsylvania's Greenville is in the pack. It's Western Pennsylvania. Heel. Correct. All right. Now we're down to River Forest. River Forest is also in the Chicago suburbs. They're in the same conference as Benedictine. For a short time, River Forest was commonly used in the name of the school. Now they prefer to use the big town that's a couple of uh clicks to the east yeah a suburb of chicago mm-hmm. concordia chicago is concordia chicago all right mount vernon is in iowa they are not in the arc not currently in the arc it must be cornell there you go cornell and then uh westminster of maryland is the last one in here this is a school that once upon a time had a different name and by once upon a time i mean like in 1999 and 2000 when they were relevant quite relevant this may not even be helpful the school used to be called western maryland what are they called now now they're called mcdaniel this was a tough on the spot but thank you for playing along lyle carlisle every place called collegeville etc etc my goodness the other collegeville is ursinus ursinus yes that's right we did not circle back on that but there you go I hope that mine will be slightly simpler. I'm going to ask just for, I'm just going to get one answer as opposed to 27. (laughs) Pat, I want to know this week, we've talked about teams traveling for week one games. I want to know who is traveling the farthest to get a win. You can choose from these that I've just dropped into the rundown, or you can go off the board, but these are the ones that I picked and I did some of the mileage calculation for you using, of course, the official NCAA mileage calculator. (laughs) I like it. My eye is immediately drawn, of course, to the two longest trips on this uh, list that you've provided me. Uh, Claremont Mud Scripts going to the University of Chicago, 1,991 miles from 6th Street to Hyde Park. Howard Payne at George Fox is also very interesting to me. Uh, That is 1,950 miles. Man. But... I really want to get the W here, so 
I'm going to go a little deeper into your list, and it's going to result in a shorter trip. But I think I am going to take Rockford going 20 miles to Beloit. No, I'm going to go with uh, Wabash going to Hampton, Sydney. That is a 631-mile trip to come away with a win there. I feel like Claremont has a really great chance. Howard Payne has a really great chance. All of these other big ones like, you know, Mary Harden Bay at River Falls and Trinity at St. John's, maybe even Redlands at PLU, although Redlands, I'm not sure if they're going to reverse the trend. They haven't been trending upward the last couple of years. But I'm going to go with uh, Wabash and Hampton, Sydney, which is 631 miles. I'm going to say Wabash is my pick to drive or travel great distances for a W. Excellent pick. That is the Gentleman's Classic down at Hampton, Sydney. A uh, run back of last year's game, which uh, featured tons of offense and a late score for a Wabash win in Crawfordsville. Uh, Gentleman's Classic, a little too gentlemanly on defense for my taste, Pat. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's a little less gentlemanly defensively this time around. Wabash, 663 yards of total offense in that game. Hampton, Sydney, 400. And 93. And of course, Marty Favret, longtime friend of the pod, announced that this will be his last year as the head coach at Hampton, Sydney. He's the winningest head football coach in Hampton, Sydney football history. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, we pull this. Question from Antion Cuff at Cuffy Cakes 08 asking, what's the over-under on game time for Salisbury at WNL? The over-under on rushing yards. Well, thanks for taking away my second choice for on the spot. Greg, this is obviously a game between two teams that uh, love to run variations on option offenses, spread option offenses, triple option offenses. At the very least, we don't have to have the same timing rules that the folks at D1 have this year, right? Or you might be saying this game will take place in about two hours and seven minutes. What do you think? How how long does this game take? Antoine is asking for an over-under on game time. I'm going to say like 2.13 for game time. Oh, damn. We had, we had some of those games like a few years ago, we had some different timing rules, right? And some Springfield games were literally like two hours and 15 minutes. If you if you were to put me on the spot, I would go over two hours and 13 minutes just because it seems like that's practically impossible. Um, I might say two hours and 25 or something like that. But uh, It's going to go quickly. You can tune into that game and still have plenty of time to watch everything else that uh, kicks off at one Eastern. Total rush yards in that one, Pat, probably you're going to have six or seven hundred yards of rushing offense in that one ball's not going to be in the air much on in this game yeah i would say i if i were to put my over under probably at about 605 or something like thanks for the question no matter what the short messaging service is called we'll put out the call on there as long as you are still following and using it and you can send us those questions for this podcast i think we're ready we're ready for we're ready for kickoff let's go thursday night games (laughs) hey if you didn't see our 20 questions that is our stack of predictions for this season if you open up 20 questions and you only see five questions you should click the next button and get the rest of the questions like we could put 
all 20 questions on the same page and like crash everything. But instead, we've kind of separated them out into four or five pages. Gotta keep them separated. Put them in a little bit more of a bite size. You should go out and see that. You should also come to d3football.com and see the list of conference preseason predictions. These are the preseason predictions by the coaches in each conference. They really go out on a limb in picking the defending champ each and every single time that they can do so. But you might learn some things by clicking on those links and going out to see what the conference preview says. Also, keep an eye out for quick hits. That will come out on Thursday. That is our predictions about week one specifically. And then every week thereafter, our crew will give you predictions about game of the week, possible upsets, et cetera, et cetera. You can see that on d3football.com. And then on game day, I mean, we just have, you know, all of those games and we are still looking for broadcast links for a bunch of schools. Folks, um, if you get your broadcast links onto your website, even if they are the pay-per-view links that we all hate, you can find the links to those on our scoreboard page on game day. And I hope you do so. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 331, released on August 30th of 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for all that coverage that we just described. Even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell someone at the tailgate, tell a fellow alum about this show. Put it in the parents group on Facebook. We know all you schools, there are parents groups on Facebook, parents of blah, 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 blah football team. I'm in a couple of them. Talk about the podcast. Feel free to do so. You can also rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports, did you know? You can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. And I don't know, maybe on threads. And soon we will definitely have a Discord for people because we know a forum, it's so 1998. But we love our forum. And we love, you know, reaching people who don't use forums as well. Executive producer of the D3Football.com and Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks and you can find them at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thank you to Anthony Colusi for joining us here on our first regular season podcast of the 2023 season. Thanks to Keith McMillan. He was the OG host, the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. Thanks to Greg Thomas, our Around the Nation columnist and our podcast co-host. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Pat. Looking at these Thursday night games, Pat, anything anything jump out at you for Thursday night? I think if I had to pick... The one game on Thursday that I was most interested in, I'm really interested in that Stevenson game against Rowan. I feel like, you know, Stevenson is a team that's going to be in contention in the MAC, and Rowan had a little bit of a resurgence last year, right? They finished seven and three. They were four and two in the conference, so they lost to CNU. They lost to Salisbury. If they continue their upward trend, I could see. Stevenson and Rowan being a nice game on that Thursday night that you could watch. That's also one that's going to have a pretty good broadcast crew and pretty good broadcast. 
Rockford and Beloit are like a stone's throw from each other across the Illinois-Wisconsin border. Cool little local rivalry. I don't know how good that game is right now because Beloit's really been uh, driving the struggle bus over the course of the past 15 years. We're talking about nine games scheduled for the 31st, so there are definitely some options there. Definitely looking at that Platteville-Lakeland game. You got a chance to see Platteville defensive end Justin Blazik in that one, uh, one of the very best defensive players in Division Three. So, you know, chance to chance to see him go to work in Week 1. Uh, yeah, but Stevenson-Rowan, that's probably the Thursday night highlight. So then the next night, you got your September 1st, you got your Friday night games. There are eight possibilities there. I would be watching FNM against Lebanon Valley. That is a really good local rivalry between those two programs as well. Interesting, um, you know, Hobart Alfred, that's a that's a fun Liberty League Empire 8 game. Alvernia had some, you know, Alvernia resurgence for Alvernia last year going to uh, Collegeville obviously for Ursinus. There's this game between McDaniel and Catholic too that is usually a pretty good game. I just don't know what it's going to cost me to watch it, so I don't know that I can recommend it. Got to get your uh, landmark action on the road this year in September. On the road, non-conference games, if you want to watch Landmark Conference for free. All I got to say is, man, those broadcasts better be super amazing, top-notch productions for whatever it is you we are going to be asked to pay to watch them. And that's my alma mater, man. I'm not going to be watching Catholic games in like any sport. Oh, that's right. It's a whole sports thing. By the time you get to this, maybe you should just take this out. <laughs>